met you before. Uh, my name is Devin Meacham. I'm one of the elders here at Real Life. I uh, love being a part of the team here. And uh, I get to be with you in this capacity this week because uh, our lead pastor, Richie, and his wife, Katie, and their girls are uh, in the midst of their sabbatical uh, time to rest and recharge and dream and pray about what God has for us in the future of this church. So they'll be back in August, and uh, they're, they're just having a, a great time. So if you're new with us, uh, we exist as a church to reach this world for Jesus one person at a time. That's why we planted this church almost 13 years ago, and that's what God has called us to. And we do that by multiplying disciples and multiplying churches in real relationship. That's why we're here. That's why we do things. That's why we get together. So I'm excited to be here with you in this capacity today. Uh, we've been in this series, A New Thing, since the week after Easter, going through the book of Ephesians. And this conversation has been all about, as a disciple of Jesus, you and I are invited into a life of transformation. Anybody and everybody can come as we are to the foot of the cross. We can come to meet Jesus, but we can't stay where we are. He wants to continually move in us and grow us and change us, and he wants to do amazing, powerful things in every area of our lives. If you got this, this sheet when you were walking in the door, these are some relational spheres. We've been talking through these the last several weeks, uh, starting with our relationship with Christ and abiding in Christ, talking about our relationships in the church, our relationships at home, our relationships in the workplace, and then all of that is encompassed by the spiritual realm that we live in. And two weeks ago, last week, we had a 4th of July weekend off, which was a lot of fun. Anyone else get a sunburn? I did. A little. Not bad, but I did. I just, I think about the sun and I burn a little bit. So, um, but we had last week off. The week before that, we started this conversation about our relationships in the world, outside the walls of the church. And I'm going to zero in on one area in particular as we talk about work. Anybody else in here have a job? have had a job, have ever thought about having a job. Okay, so I'm not alone. I don't work here at the church. I'm a volunteer like many of you. I have a Monday through Friday job. I'm in, I'm, I'm in commercial real estate. I run a team. I have employees. I have a boss, all of that, and like many of you. And today we're going to talk about, okay, God, what do you want to do to create a new thing in the workplace? And uh, it's going it's to be fun. So I'm a storyteller, just get that out right now. Um, I'm also a raging extrovert. Some of you, I'm making you really uncomfortable. I'm all the way up here, you're all the way, don't, I won't try, well, I might try and hug you, but it's okay. If you just stiff arm me, I'll stay away. So, but you just bear with me. We're gonna have a lot of fun this morning and I'm excited to be here with you. So if you would, just imagine with me, you can close your eyes if you're one of those people. Uh, close your eyes and imagine with me for a second the ideal Sunday morning. You wake up, it's sunny outside like this morning. You make yourself your first cup of coffee, step out on the back deck, and it's already feeling hot. You're like, yeah, it's going to be a good day. You get ready, get the kids up if they're not awake before you, like ours are usually. You get everybody ready, you get out the door, you load up. Somebody inevitably has to pee, so you get back inside. They pee, you get back, you load the van up or the car or whatever it is. You head to church, get the kids all checked in. If you're like me, you grab another cup of coffee, and there's lots of hugs and high fives and conversations and all of the things as you head in here. We have a time of worship and celebration together. Somebody gets up to encourage us to live like Jesus, to be Jesus' people. God wants to use us. He wants to move in us and through us each and every day. 
Like, awesome, I'm excited about this. It was a good conversation. Walk out, get the kids out of kids' church. If you're like me, grab another cup of coffee for the road, just in case, you never know. And you get home, and your typical ideal Sunday afternoon. You chill, you hang out. Maybe there's some, a football game on, not right now, we'll get there. But you, you just, you hang out. There's some chores to take care of that you missed yesterday. You have great conversation with your spouse or with your kids about what God, what they were learning about Jesus or what God's doing in their hearts at kids' church or here in the church or whatever. And you go to bed, get the kids tucked in, you go to bed, you're all ready for the week, and you wake up the next morning, it's Monday morning, and it's time to go to work. Does anybody else in here have a work mode? Okay, I do. I've got a work mode. I'm in my office 50, 60 hours a week, and I've got a work mode. Now, I want God to, like, so excited, finishing Ideal Sunday, thinking, God, you're going to use me, you're going to move through me this week, and it's going to be awesome, and I can't wait to love people the way you do. Here we go. And then I get in the car, and I start driving to work, and it's almost like I put a mask on before I get to the office because work mode Devin needs to come in. Work mode Devin needs to click in. Inevitably, on a Monday morning, I don't know what I did. Um, On a Monday morning, something inevitably is falling apart. Maybe the car won't start. Uh, An angry customer is calling again. They've left a few voicemails already. The sale is falling apart. There's a conflict with somebody you work with. You may not even be involved in it, but little Sally and little Timmy aren't playing well on the sandbox together, and everybody knows about it, right? And it has an impact at work. Maybe Steve Microwave leftover tuna casserole again. We've told him not to do this. He'll do it anyway. Your boss yells at you. A key employee quits or two. Monday happens. It's been a long week, and it's Monday. Or on the other side, it's just, it's been a great week. It was a great day. You get to work. Everything's working out. You're getting your emails off. Everything is clicking and smooth sailing, but it's busy. It's still busy. Oftentimes, I get into the mode where I care, honestly, I care more about what the Wall Street Journal says than what the Bible says when I'm at work. It's just being real for a minute. But it's busy. And then you get in your car to go home, and it's like halfway home, you're like, oh, family time's coming. Okay, I got to be ready for this. It, it takes energy, right? I've got a lot of kids. I'm married. It takes energy. I want to be the man that God has called me to be. And then, oh, wait. Yeah, Jesus still wanted to use me to love people today. I was slammed. Everything was falling apart. And then if you think about it, if I start thinking about loving people the way Jesus wants me to, talking to people about Jesus, that's nerve-wracking. What are they going to think about me? And we live in a day and age and a culture where I could, somebody could come and ask me a question. Hey, you go to church, don't you? And somebody else could walk by and get offended by that, and I could lose my job, I could lose my business license, I could not get to go to work the next day because I talked about Jesus, because somebody asked me. It's nerve-wracking. How do I navigate that? What do I say if somebody comes and asks me a question that I've got no clue to the answer to? How do I allow God to work through me and transform my work and turn my work into a new thing? 
I so badly want to be a man of God. It's easy for me to compartmentalize. Like I said, I've got work Devin. I've got dad Devin. I've got husband Devin. I've got on the phone Devin. I've got, I've got elder Devin. I've got church. I've got all these different Devins. And Jesus is like, no, I want one Devin. There needs to be Devin. And that's it. Has anybody else ever wrestled with this? Okay, good. It's not just me. I have a hard time sometimes living out what I say, I believe, as soon as I leave the church on Sunday morning. Jesus, I know you want to work through me this week. It's not a good week. Can we try another time? Trying to get ready for vacation. You ever try and, you know how you get busy at work? You try and get ready to leave for vacation. Because everything has to happen all at once. I know you want to do a new thing through me. How are you going to do that at work? It's hard to figure out. It's easy for me to figure it out in the context when I'm surrounded by people that have the same ideals and the same heart that I do. Somebody else that wants to grow and follow Jesus and learn more there is to know about Jesus. At home, talking to my wife. Do we do it right all the time? No. No, we don't. With my kids, do we do it right? No. In the context of the church, I'm surrounded by people. It's a lot easier to figure it out, surrounded by people who have the same ideas as you. And then you go to work, and it's a completely different context. God, how do you want to work through me in the marketplace? Now, this series has been based out of the book of Ephesians. If you got your Bible or Bible app, you can turn there. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't know where that is, it's towards the back of your Bible. You can ask someone sitting close to you for help. Check your table of contents, Google it, or... Just wait, because it will be on the screen behind me. So I uh, just gave you an out. Um, Ephesians was written by a guy named Paul, who was a Jewish religious leader, and he was the best of the best. Like, he was, he was the up-and-coming, he was the star, he was the champion, and he hated Christians. He hated Christians. He persecuted them, he threw them in jail. Uh, Christians died as a result of his actions. He hated Christians, and he worked hard to make sure that everybody knew it. Now, he was on the road one day to a city called Damascus in Syria to continue to persecute more Christians because he knew that there were, he called them followers of the way, were there. And on his way there, he has an encounter with Jesus that completely rocks him, knocks him to the ground. It's a great story. It's in the book of Acts. You can read it. It's, I won't dive into it too much today. But he starts following Jesus, And as a result of this, he becomes one of the most prolific church planters the world has ever seen. He's planting churches all over the Roman Empire. Now, he also had a job. He was a tent maker. He had a boss. He had customers. He had orders to fill. He had materials to try and source. He had to try and sell his tents that he was making. Like you and me. He wasn't just an academic philosophically writing about the theory of following Jesus and God making something new and wanting to do something new in our work, he actually was doing it. And this is his little blurb that he gives us in Ephesians chapter 6 regarding what it's like at work. Read this with me, starting in verse 5. It said, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all of your heart. Verse 7, work with enthusiasm, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way 
Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. If you're taking notes, write this down. Work is worship. You ever have those days where you absolutely dread going to work? I do. It could be for whatever reason. Maybe your boss is an absolute jerk. Maybe it's mundane. It's monotonous. There's always conflict. Maybe you're in a job where day in and day out, all you see is the worst side of people. Maybe you're in a call center for a customer service job. Or on the complete opposite end, you see the worst side of people. Maybe you're a septic pump guy. I don't don't know. I mean, whatever it might be, there are days when it would be so, so easy to just mail it in to do the bare minimum just to say enough, do just enough to say, yep, I went to work today. Right? I have days like that. Get the bare minimum accomplished to slide under the radar. But that's not what Paul is calling us to here. He says, work with enthusiasm. Now, that can be a word that scares people. If you haven't noticed this yet, I'm loud. I am a raging extrovert. And people in my office know I'm coming long before I get there. It's because of I'm either clapping or I'm singing or I'm talking or they can hear me walking or laughing or whatever. If I'm talking, just so you know, uh, my wife tested this. My natural decibel level is like 87, so which is like standing next to a running lawnmower. So you're not going to miss me if I'm talking, right? People can hear me coming. Enthusiasm and enthusiastic does not mean loud. It does not mean obnoxious. It does not mean out there, big, bold, whatever. Working with enthusiasm is actually caring about what you do. You can be working remotely, sitting in a basement, coding all day, and do that with enthusiasm. You can be making coffee all day, same thing, and you can do it with enthusiasm. You can put your attention, you can put your care into it. Do it with enthusiasm. He says that we're working for Jesus. We're not working for just man. Work as if you're working for the Lord. Work as if that latte that you're about to hand over, Jesus is going to drink it. Work as if that burger you just flipped, Jesus is going to eat that Big Mac. Put that much care into it. Work as if the code that you just wrote or the budget that you're in the middle of writing or whatever it might be, that Jesus is going to get that. It makes you think about it just a little bit differently or a lot differently, depending on how much effort you put into it. Even if you hate your job completely, do it the best that you possibly can. Because you don't know who might be watching. I mean, we know that God's going to be watching us. He just said that. But we don't know who else might be watching us. The Lord will reward each and every one of us for the good that we do. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, if you see a man who's truly competent in his work, he'll work for kings. He's not going to work for ordinary people. Work your best, whether you like it or not. Work your hardest. You're working for the king of kings, not the sales manager, not the shift supervisor, not the foreman. Work is worship. You know, one of my favorite Bible stories is the story of Joseph. It's from the book of Genesis. It starts in chapter 37, goes all the way to the end of the book, chapter 50. Uh, You can read the whole thing if you want. I'm just going to give you the Cliff Notes version right now. I told you I'm a storyteller. Now, Joseph was 
a young son, one of the younger brothers. He had a ton of older brothers, and he was daddy's favorite. And everybody knew it. And in his youth, he lacked wisdom, I will say. And he would talk to his brothers about these dreams that he was having, about how they ultimately were going to bow down to him. You can imagine how his older brothers took that. So it got to the point where his brothers decided that they were going to kill him. Different culture. None of my siblings plotted to kill me that I know of. I'm still here, so um, they might have. But one of his brothers saves him and says, no, 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 we, sh- we shouldn't kill him. Instead, why don't we sell him into slavery? A lot better, right? I mean, it is a lot better. He's still alive. But And some slave traders happened to be rolling by, right? Rolling. They're in camels. They didn't roll. They walked. But happened to be going by, hey, there's some slave traders. We'll sell them to him. Sell him to them. And he goes from being the favored son of a wealthy man to being drugged behind a camel on his way down to Egypt. Now, Egypt was the pinnacle of power in the world at the time. And he gets sold into the house of a guy named Potiphar, who was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. He had a high-ranking job in the military. He was a top guy. And the story goes that everything in Potiphar's house was blessed as a result of Joseph being there. Because God was with him. And that floor has never looked that good. Everything is just clicking. In fact, it got to the point where the only thing that Potiphar cared about was the food that he ate. He put Joseph in charge of everything. He was a slave. And God blessed there because of everything that Joseph did. Now, Potiphar's wife happened to have a liking for Joseph, we'll say, and tried on multiple occasions to seduce him. And he said a couple of times, he's like, how can I sin against Potiphar and sin against God by sleeping with my boss's wife? No, I'm not going to do that. And so one day, they're in the house by themselves, and she grabs a hold of him and says, hey, come sleep with me. And he does, like, the wiggle out of his jacket and, like, takes off running. And she's standing there by herself holding his coat. Could be awkward. So she starts screaming, the guards come running, Potiphar comes running, your slave tried to rape me. And he gets thrown in prison, unjustly. Favored son of a wealthy man, sold into slavery, becomes the second in command, essentially, of this man's house, thrown in jail. Kind of one of these, right? Now, oddly enough, everything in that jail starts clicking. God was blessing everything that was happening there so much that the prison warden put Joseph in charge of everything. A prisoner. He put in charge of everything. And he was there for a while. And after he'd been there for a while, these two guys were both thrown in prison at the same time with him. One of them was a baker, and one of them was, was Pharaoh's cupbearer. He would, anytime that Pharaoh would go to drink wine, this guy would take a sip before handing it to Pharaoh. If he died, Pharaoh probably shouldn't drink it. And that was kind of the I have great benefits, you know. It's a good job. Um, but they both have these wild, crazy dreams. And Joseph says, hey, tell me these dreams. He tells them, and God gives him the interpretation of these dreams. And exactly what those dreams came out to that he, was, that he told him what was going to happen was exactly what happened. The baker died, and the cupbearer was replaced in his, or was put back in his position of honor. And the last thing he said to the cupbearer on the way out the door was, hey, remember me before Pharaoh. Remember me. 
The guy's like, yeah, you got it. And walked out the door and completely forgot about him for years. And he sat there in prison for years. Until all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a weird dream, a couple of them. He had a dream that there were these seven fat, healthy cows standing on the banks of the river and seven scrawny cows come out of the river and eat the fat cows. I'd wake up if that was my dream too. That'd be freaky to watch. And he had another very similar dream right after that. And he calls all of his... I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sorry. Um, He calls everybody in and he says, these are my dreams. What's it mean? Nobody can tell him what it means. And so he starts threatening him. He's like, I'm going to start killing people if you guys don't tell me what my dreams mean. And then the cupbearer remembers. He's like, hey, I know a guy. I did time with him. Remember when you threw me into, the, into, the, into jail? Yeah, there's this dude. He told me what my dream meant, and it was exactly what happened. Go get him. What are you still standing here telling me about him for? Go get him. So they go get Joseph. They bring him in. They shave him, give him a bath, clean clothes and all that. He's been in jail. Probably smelled terrible. And he starts walking into Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells him this dream. And he said, you know what? I'm the, my God is the God of dreams. I'm going to tell you what's up. He said, you're going to have seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And that's what the seven fat cows were, the seven scrawny cows were. That's what those represent. And Pharaoh's like, well, what do I do? And he said, well, you need to find a wise man. Joseph tells him, find a wise man. And you need to have him, during the seven years of plenty, collect a little bit from everybody so you've got these massive storehouses of food. And then when the famine hits, you can sell it back. So a couple things are going to happen. One, you're never going to run out of food. And two, you're going to get really rich because everybody from every other nation all around is going to come to you to buy food too. It's like you need to find somebody smart enough to put this into practice. And he goes, found him. And so he placed Joseph in charge of this program and ultimately put him second in command of the entire empire of Egypt. Favored son of a wealthy man, sold into slavery, second in command at Potiphar's house, thrown in jail, forgotten about, and then second in command of all of Egypt. And everything that he did, he always pointed it back to the glory of God. Work is worship. Where he was was blessed as a result of him being there. How would your place of work be? I want, my place, I want where I work to be blessed because I'm here because God's with me. Work is worship. The second thing from this passage in Ephesians 6 that I want to talk about is how we treat people. Let's read this again. In verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. If you jump down to verse 9, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Write this down if you're taking notes. Love people well. God wants to do a new thing in work. Love people well. How you act or react about your boss when he or she is not in the room, this is going to sound harsh and it's meant to, it's a direct reflection of your character. If you disrespect, gossip about, tear down your boss to other people, 
do you really think that those people will take you seriously if you tried to tell them about Jesus? If that got back to your boss somehow, what picture of the creator of the universe would they have after that as a result of your actions? Bosses in the room. I have people that work for me. This goes for us too. How you treat your employees will have a direct impact on the level of influence you have with them. Owner, sales manager, foreman, manager, whatever your role is, supervisor, does not equal influence just because you have the title. Do you really think that they would... Let me back up. If you ride your employees into the ground, if you berate them, if you talk them down to their coworkers, if you treat their spouses poorly, and so on, do you really think that they're going to accept an invitation to come to church with you on Christmas Eve? I'd be scared to death to go to a church that a boss who treated me like that went to if I didn't know Jesus. It's like, man, he says he's a Christian. He goes to church there. What are the other Christians like? What's that? Is that what Jesus is like? I'm, I don't want any part of that. How we treat people matters. We love people well. And it's not just your boss or your employees either. It's everyone that you come in contact with. Even the ones that you aren't expecting. I've got a, a gal that I work with. She's a nice gal. I'm not, I don't know her super well. She's in, she sits in one of those spots that's kind of in the middle of everything. Like no matter where I'm going from my office, I'm going to walk past her at some point. If, if it's the elevator or the conference room or the bathroom or whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm going to walk past her. Usually I'm in the middle of something else. I'm thinking about something else. And she has a way of, she'll ask me a question as I'm walking by, and it's, it's an interruption. It, like, it kind of stalls me out. It's like, I wasn't thinking about that. And there was a time that I was, I was actually praying, God, I want you to slow me down to notice the people that I normally just blow right past. And slow me down and be okay with interruptions. And... I was walking out with a friend. I was reading a book at the time called uh, Ordering Your Private World. It's an amazing book. It's by a guy named Gordon McDonald. I recommend it highly. And I'm reading this book, and I was talking to him about this book as we were walking from the conference room back to the elevator. And I'm talking in the middle of talking to him, and, sh and she just pipes up, hey, what's that book you're talking about? And I'm like, and so I stopped and told her about the book. I said, oh, it's Ordering Your Private World. It's worth your read. I don't know if she follows Jesus or not. It's written by a pastor. Very, it's a, not really a self-help book, but it's very faith-based. And so I'm telling her about it a little bit. He leaves, and then I, I leave, and I go back to my office. A couple days later, I'm walking by. I'd just gotten off the phone. My mind was completely on something else. I was trying to get to the elevator. And she said, hey, I got a quick question for you. And I'm like, okay. She's like, I bought that book you told me about. I've been reading it. Now, the book is all about if everything was stripped away and all you had left was your relationship with Jesus and he, he uses the picture of a garden, what would your garden look like? Would it be a place of rest, a place of peace? Or is it just in shambles and weeds everywhere and thorns and thistles? And so you lose your kids, you lose your job, you lose your family, you lose everything. All you have is Jesus. What's it like? And she starts asking me questions. Hey, so how do you cultivate a garden? And I'm like, What? She said, well, I'm, I'm reading that book you told me about. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. 
And uh, so then I stop and I talk to her for five minutes about just how to have a relationship with Jesus and what it looks like. And then two weeks ago, I'm walking by from the elevators. Again, probably just got off the phone. And I'm walking, get off the elevators, and I'm heading back to my office. And she just goes, I'm down the hall. And she goes, hey, praying man. Just like yells at me. So I go walking back up there. It's like, were you yelling at me? She goes, well, yeah, you're the praying man. I was like, okay. And she said, my sister just got diagnosed, and we don't know what to do. Would you pray for me? Yeah. Yeah, let's pray right now. Did I know that allowing myself to be interrupted, even though it was kind of annoying at the time, would lead to her opening up and being like, hey, would you pray for my sister? We don't know what to do. We're scared to death. I don't know if it would have. I doubt it. Last year in my office was a, a hard year. A good buddy of mine, one of my brokers, died in a motorcycle accident. And his dad is uh, my boss, my mentor. And, and so I kind of was thrust into this shepherding role. For I, you know, I've got 30 guys on my team. And, and then all the support staff and everybody. And for weeks and weeks and weeks, I would just have people just come to my door. Hey, can I just talk to you for a second? Yeah, what's up? Man, I miss Brent. I just, I miss Brent. I miss how he made fun of me. I miss just his, he was awesome. He was such a good dude. I miss him coming in and saying, hey, let's go grab coffee. And you look bored. And we'd be walking there. And he'd be like, oh, by the way, you're buying. You know, I mean, it's just, he was that guy. He, he was just, he was awesome. And it was weeks of walking with people as I was trying to walk through the loss of a friend. Sudden loss of a friend. What that led to, though, was opportunities to, down the road, for guys coming into my office saying, Dude, my marriage is a mess. What do I do? I don't know what to do with my kids. Parenting's hard. What do I do? I'm discouraged. I don't feel like I measure up. Hey, you're a church guy, aren't you? Can, can I come to church with you? I mean, with that kind of, with those kinds of conversations happened, if I didn't allow the interruptions, I don't know. Kind of doubt it, but I don't know. We have a choice to make in the workplace. Are we going to allow ourselves to put a mask on when we start our commute on Monday morning? To play charades all week? Are we going to really be the hands of feet, hands and feet of Jesus? in practical, tangible ways. Giving our very best effort in every single thing we do. If we flip burgers, that every burger you make is the best burger you've ever made. If you're writing a budget, every line on that budget, you've gone through. You know exactly what it is. It's polished. We give our best. If you're an Uber driver, man, your car is clean. Smells good. It's a joy to get a ride in your car. Not a joy ride. It's a, it's a joy. If you're in sales, every single customer, every single client that you have is getting the best possible service there is. You know where I'm going with that. And loving people well. 
This is easy to talk about and really hard to do day in and day out. I know that. I have a hard time with this day in and day out. Every day, I have to choose. And a lot of days, I don't choose. I'm just, like, just going to do me. I'm going to do whatever I want. Devin, you don't know what my workplace is like. You don't know what my boss is like. You don't know what my employees are like. You don't know what that coworker is like. You don't know what I do for a living. It's terrible. It's like, no, I don't. But we love people well, and we give it all we've got. There's something I want to say about that, too. He's like, man, you don't know what my boss is like. No, I don't. But let me tell you something. There is no way on earth that we can expect people that don't follow Jesus to act like they are. God hasn't started the transforming work in their hearts yet, but he wants to. He has started that transforming work in your heart and in your life, and he wants to use you to reach a lost, broken, dying office, shop, restaurant, store. Even the jerks love people well. Several months ago, I started this uh, process with uh, one of the brokers in my office. It's called Hero on a Mission. Every Wednesday morning, we get together. It's our hero time. And uh, you start by writing your own obituary. Now, what do I want to be known for? A eulogy at a funeral is essentially somebody getting up and defending why your life mattered. So why not make it easy for them? Writing this obituary, I was sitting there and very, very little of what I wrote down, of what I wanted to be known for, had to do with what I do for a living. Had everything to do with how I treat people. He was the best commercial sales manager Spokane's ever seen. I didn't, I didn't write that. He loved people well. He loved his family. He was generous. He was an advocate for those who needed it. That's what, that's what I wrote down. It was those types of things. And then you work a 10-year plan from that. Okay, what's my life look like in 10 years? What's my life look like in five years? What's it look like a year from now? All the way down to a daily planner. And as you're filling out this daily planner, one of the questions that's on there before you even start your day is if this was the second day, second time, the second chance that you had to live this day, what would you do differently? You know the interactions you're going to have every day. I know that I'm going to walk by that lady every time I go to my office. What am I going to do differently this time? I know that I've got a sales meeting today. What am I going to do differently this time? I know that I'm going to pick my kids up after school or after basketball practice. What am I going to do differently this time? I know that I'm going to get a call from that customer like I do every week. What am I going to do differently this time? Before you even start your day. Just ask yourself, Jesus, what would you have me do? It gets me out of autopilot. I know I pick my kids up from basketball practice or whatever, and immediately it's just, all right, let's, we're going to rock and roll the whole way home. It's fun. But what about asking a question? What about as I'm walking past my admin when I see her on Monday morning and being like, hey, how's your weekend? Yeah, good to see you. Okay. Instead of stop and engaging with her, it's like, how you doing? love people well. Now, we're very much a results-driven society. So, you know, we've got this plan. We've got these steps. Okay, I'm going to love people well, and I'm going to do my best in everything that I do. But why? What happens if I do that? 
What happens if we do that is people see Jesus in us. They start to ask questions. They come to you for answers. They come to you for help. They come to you when they're looking for hope. They come to you because you love people well. Now what happens if we don't do that? What happens if we, hey, good talk. Now what? Well, nothing happens. I mean, why would somebody come to you if you don't love people well? Why would somebody open up to you if you just shut yourself off? If you're known to talk bad about your boss or about your coworkers, why would anybody come to you needing hope? They won't. Now, you might be in the room today and you, you don't follow Jesus. And maybe you work with people who say they do. You got a boss who follows Jesus or, or, an emplo- or a coworker, an employee that says that they're a Christian. Let me tell you what, as a Christian, we are not perfect. We're people just like you. We want to live like Jesus. We want to look like Jesus. And we're, it's a process. It's like this poor excuse of a mustache I've got on my face right now. I know what I want it to look like. It's not quite there yet. But it's a process. But let me tell you what. If you don't know Jesus in the room, let me tell you this right now. Jesus loves you. God loves you so much and he loved you enough and he loved you well enough that he did give his all. Like he's calling us to right here. He gave his all, like we talked about when we took communion a little bit ago and gave his son, sacrificed his son to die on the cross for you and for me. And if you're in the room and you're like, well, I want this. I want to be known as somebody who loves well. I, Jesus, I, I, need, I need Jesus. I need this help. All you have to do is say, do you know what, Jesus, I need you. Just say it. Jesus, I need you. You're looking around, it's like, I wonder if there's anybody here that can help me with that. Yeah, there is. It's a lot. First step is just getting it out of your mouth. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to make you my master, just like we were just reading in Ephesians here. I want want to know you. And then the second step is a lot scarier, but the first step of obedience and following Jesus is to get baptized. We've got this tank full of water up here. It came out of a hose. It's water. But it's a physical, it's a picture, a representation of identifying with Jesus in his death when you get dunked under the water and with his resurrection when he comes back out. Because Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He defeated sin and death for you and for me if we choose to follow him. And it's also, it's a public declaration saying, okay, I, you know, I believe in this. Now I got to get up in front of everybody so everybody knows, hey, I'm following Jesus now which is scary, but this is a safe spot. So if you're here in the room today, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song to end this time in time of worship together. And if your next step is to get baptized, Lisa's back in the back, I think Garrett's back there. We're here. We've got everything that you need to do there. We've got shirts, shorts, towels, anything that you might need to take that step of obedience, that step of faith today. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray right now as we close out. God, we love you. I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that you want to do a new thing in me. You want to do a new thing at my work. You want to do a new thing with my coworkers, with my boss. God, I need your help. We need your help to love people well. We need your help to give it our all. God, to remember that everything that we do is worship. 
Our work is worship. That spreadsheet is worship. That engine is worship. God, I thank you so much for who who you are and what you're doing. I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're going to get baptized, go back and see Lisa right now. We'll get you all set up.